Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Syndicate, a film and TV podcast. From our screens to your watch list, we gather to share and discuss your next favorite. Join us as we want you to spend less time scrolling and more time watching. And now, here's your host, Armand Haddad. Hello and welcome to Syndicates, where we want you to spend less time scrolling and more time watching. I'm your host, Armand Haddad, and welcome to episode 10. This season we are exploring the hidden gems of films or films you probably passed over watching. Joining me in the studio today is Aaron. Aaron is an audio engineer for a local radio station here in the Chicago area. And you probably know Aaron from his podcast, WSTR Galactic Public Access, or his Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash sounddaddy. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, I need to make a Twitch name. Oh, I don't know what it will be. That was actually a nickname given to me by a fellow student here at the Moody Bible Institute, if you could believe it. <laughs> so uh, I'll, I'll, I'll leave the origin to that, to the imagination. Well, <laughs> hey, it's, it's a name and it's going to be, you know, in my mind forever since I heard you even say that. I was like, okay, you are the sound daddy. Makes sense. <laughs> It's not much, but it's mine. Yes. <laughs> and on a more serious note, can you tell the listeners a little bit about WSTR? Yes. WSTR, Galactic Public Excess, is a all-ages, family-friendly Star Wars podcast we've had going for over three years at this point. Armand used to be a host on it. We cover Star Wars news. We have guests from other podcasts or figures within the Star Wars universe, as it were. So. If Star Wars and podcasts are your thing, go check it out. It's available wherever fine podcasts are sold. <laughs> yes, it's it's a great show, and uh, they have a lot of Star Wars celebrities being interviewed and joining the discussion on there. So if you like that stuff, be sure to check out WSTR, Galactic Public Access. And now, today we're going to discuss the importance of holding on to hope in a bleak future for this episode's film recommendation is Alfonso Cuarón's 2006 film, The Children of Men. Aaron, what were your initial thoughts of Children of Men? It's quite the favorite of mine. So, painting with broad strokes, 
this movie, it's sci-fi without being sci-fi. It's apocalyptic without being totally apocalyptic. But above all else, it's kind of a meditation on nihilism and kind of the human condition at its worst. But it still brings out a few notes of hope. It does so in a way that it just doesn't draw attention to itself at all. It's not a stylish film. It's not a bunch of glitz and glam and, oh, look at our special effects. It's, it's, it's very down-to-earth, very matter-of-fact, mm-hmm. almost to a fault. It's as if people went ahead to the future, to 2027, and they were filming a documentary and captured the events there, and they basically just lay it out in front of you. Very brilliant movie. I like it a lot. It feels so rooted in reality from the performances from the lead actor, Clive Owen, to the extras in the background. It just feels like a snapshot in reality of what things could be. And it it paints a very realistic picture of how the human race could degenerate and fall apart given what happens in the film. How did you first hear about this movie? I think it was through one of the filmmaking subreddits that I follow. Okay. And this movie ended up on there and I saw it several years back. I did some digging and this movie in particular, if it had any kind of stylistic flair to it, it's kind of known famously for a few particular scenes in the movie that either are entirely one long take through very complex action scenes, or they're just very cleverly edited to appear as one long take. Either way, it's a it's a stylistic choice to underscore that documentary feel. And I watched one of those scenes and the how did they do that filmmaking part of my brain lit up and I'm like, oh, wow, this, this movie's something special. And then I sat down and watched it and was just electrified. It felt like they took one of my favorite PC games of all time, Half-Life 2, mm. uh, stripped out the bit of the more like fantastic sci-fi elements of it and left all like the grounded kind of human despair, dystopia parts of it mm-hmm. and made it into a feature film. Yeah, I was just blown away by it. It's just pure filmmaking art, Armand. <laughs> and more people need to know about it. Oh yeah, it really is. So I had the chance to watch this movie when it came out in theaters in 2006. And it really had a lasting impression on me. I would say it was one of the defining films in my like film tastes, personally. I think it was like the first film I saw of a dystopia. And, you know, it's funny, since you mentioned Half-Life 2. So Half-Life 2 came out around the same time as this movie. Yeah, 2004. So I could see, like, the parallels and the aesthetic. During that time was the height of, you know, the Iraq War. Like, I feel like that was how people coped with uh, the trauma of what was going on in the world and so they made you know a dystopia game half-life 2 where the combine the alien forces come and enslave humanity Mm -hmm. and society kind of like falls apart in that way with children of men before we get too into it like society falls apart and it's like a realistic bleak outlook on the future so that's why i wanted to end this season with children of men because like it's the ultimate hidden gem like, it's truly the diamond in the rough that not a lot of people know about, but, like, once you watch it, it's, like, it leaves the equivalent of, like, a movie earworm. Like, you can't just, can't stop thinking about it. Like, it's just such a great movie. Yeah, it sticks with you. It feels as real as life itself, which I think 
is the mark of high art. Before we get into the plot, Aaron, a thing we like to do at Syndicate is called the elevator pitch, which is if you're recommending a movie, you have 60 seconds to really sell the movie to a friend. So now I'm going to give you 60 seconds to summarize the plot of the movie while avoiding major spoilers. Are you ready, Aaron? I am. All right. And three, two, one, go. Okay. So I want you to imagine Britain in the far future of 2027. The world has gone to hell. There are disasters and war and famine and all kinds of crises everywhere. Uh, life's a pretty bleak place. Uh, governments are issuing suicide kits to people, whoever wants them. They're issuing antidepressants in rations, but weed is still illegal. <laughs> Can't have that. So we have our, we have our everyday, every man character and, uh, he, he, he narrowly survives, uh, just a, a bombing in an everyday cafe to top it all off. Humanity has not had a birth in 18 years. That's right. Everybody is infertile. Nobody can explain it. Nobody knows why it's just a disaster. But one day, he does a favor for an old flame, and he comes across the first woman who has gotten pregnant in 18 years. He needs to decide if he's going to carry this woman and her baby to safety and what the cost of that will be to him. <laughs> Good job, Aaron. Yeah, that pretty much summarizes the whole plot of the movie. The movie wonderfully depicts an aging human race, a dying human race, and I would say it's very realistic in its portrayal of that because it shows what would stand and what would not stand anymore. The film's aesthetic is very like dirty and grungy, not in like a Star Wars way where it's like a lived-in universe, mm -hmm. but it's like people just don't care anymore. Yeah, because what 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 is there to look forward to if there is no future? That's really what the loss of children represents is like the loss of a hope for the future that things will ever get better and that is right at the nugget of nihilism is like why even bother so after 18 years war has engulfed the planet and the majority of countries all around the world have fallen except for britain britain stands on as uh the last bastion of hope for uh, civilization, for the human race. If the propaganda is to be believed. Yes. There's a lot of unreliable narrators throughout the entire movie. And the biggest one is the state, the ones in control of the media. Like, it makes you believe, like, this is the only place left standing. And they're really going either way to maintain that order within the chaos. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's an accurate depiction of how governments would try to maintain order? Because, like, we see the government of Britain just fall into a, a fascist state. There's a bitter taste of irony throughout much of the movie because, of course, England was the birthplace of the Magna Carta, which is one of the most important government documents in history where it limits the powers of government and ins instead advocates for the right of the individual within a government. And so in the movie, Britain has become very isolationist and very nationalistic and fascist, where it opens up with this kind of news broadcast declaring that, you know, the borders are closed. 
they're no longer allowing refugees in. And there's actually a slang term, a derogatory term for refugees in the movie called Fujis. If you're a Fuji, you're not a true British citizen. You're basically an outcast, illegal, and need to be deported. And we'll get to that later. But it's a very plausible look at what a government would do in crisis. It's like, okay, all these countries, they are they are burning. They are wrecked by famine. Nobody's being born to replace all the people that are dying. Screw all you guys. Screw the EU. <laughs> We're just going to, you know, close up our borders and just take care of our own. So, yeah, it's highly plausible as far as what a government would do in a situation like that. Right. Because it comes down to, like, survival. Like, say the information is to be believed and they are the final country to be left standing, like all of the world's going to be flooding into their gates and they have to unfortunately close the door if they want to, you know, stay afloat. And they touch on that. They have advertisements for this particular drug called Quietus that the government issues. And they don't come out right out and say it, but it is essentially a suicide kit where if you choose to do so to kind of voluntarily commit suicide through this government approved method, your next of kin will be paid 2000 pounds. And that is essentially a clever way of saying the resources of the government are pushed to such a degree that if we can convince somebody to basically just walk off the earth so that we have one less mouth to feed, we are willing to pay for that which is really, truly nightmarish if you think about it. But they just present it very matter-of-factly in the movie. And I do want to say this is one of the strengths of this particular movie is that there's pretty much zero exposition given. Mm -hmm. We don't have like an information dump from a character like this is how things are and things are really bad. And it's all given either just told visually through like extras in the background or through news broadcasts that happen to be going on just in the background. Like we don't just like cut to like straight news coverage, but it's just, it's a part of the atmosphere. It's part, a part of the environment. And it's so refreshing because it treats the audience as like an intelligent human being who can piece things together. No, oh, yeah. Where it's very grounded and it's very real. And having somebody explain everything to another character who should have lived through this and should already know and does already know that would come across as really stupid. <laughs> and this, this director, he avoids that entirely, which is like, thank you. Thank God that there's a movie that treats its audience like intelligent people. And it just comes across as a very natural storytelling style. And it serves the purpose of this movie very well. Yeah. Like, I 100% agree with you. With this film, Children of Men, you're just dropped into the shoes of just a, a regular guy, Theo, Clive Owen's character. You're just dropped into his life. Mm -hmm. The only time we really get, like, an information, quote, an information dump is, like, right in the beginning of the movie, which sets the tone, which is a news broadcast saying, like, the youngest human alive was just killed. He was 18 years, four months, 27 days, or... yes. Baby Diego. Who was a celebrity just for being the youngest human on the planet. But like you said, Alfonso very strategically provides all the information the viewer needs by going along in the journey with him. He's just going on with his day and he just stumbles upon a miracle in the second act of the movie, which is Key's character. 
And then he has a choice of whether to embark on that adventure to help her or to refuse it and live out his uh, bleak existence in London. Well, he initially doesn't have a choice. He's going along on his everyday life. You know, he stops for coffee, adds some whiskey into it, because why not when you're in this kind of world? Narrowly survives a bombing. You know, there's nothing particularly special about him. But one day when he's going home from work, he is abducted by this activist organization called The Fishes. Yes. Maybe I missed it, but it's not entirely clear what they're after, except they're kind of like a protest to the current government in in place. It was through some of the dialogue of the characters, they wanted equal immigration rights. Yes. So through this kidnapping, he ends up uh, in contact with an old flame of his, a political activist by the name of Julian. Totally not Julianne Moore. (laughs) She has kidnapped him because... He is the only person that she trusts with this. She asks him to get some transit papers for somebody that they need to get across the border. Mm-hmm. And for this, he will receive 5,000 pounds. And he he is in need of money, but he tries to downplay it. And he's like, you know what? I don't want to get involved with this. They're like, cool. Reach out to us if you change your mind. And of course, he does end up changing his mind. And getting into it, but little does he know that this person that they need transferred is not just an ordinary person with importance to the organization. It is the first lady in 18 years who has gotten pregnant. Mm-hmm. And there's this debate that arises between, you know, do we keep her hidden and secret and safe? We're trying to get her to a human project. Human project. Yes. The Human Project, which is kind of this brain trust of people who were put together by various governments to try to solve this fertility problem. They couldn't come up with a solution, so they've kind of been you know, cast aside by various uh, governmental bodies. But they're trying to get this person to them in the hopes that they can figure out why she was able to get pregnant and hopefully work on some sort of cure. Getting her to them is the goal of the movie, and... That's kind of their best hope for humanity for now. And so there's this debate that rises within the fishes. Do we continue with that plan given the danger that we're in? Or do we kind of wait a few months, have her deliver the baby here, and then deliver them both to the human project? And it's kind of Theo's vote to say she needs medical attention no matter who it is. Even if it's the government, we need to go public with this. And of course, as it's revealed later, the fishes feel differently. Yeah. One of the biggest themes of the film is their portrayal of xenophobia and immigration. Yes. The film's almost 15 years old, and yet the same issues that they're dealing with in this fictional near future dystopia is exactly what we're dealing with now in society Mm -hmm. with all these um, migrant crises happening all around the world, especially now being exacerbated with COVID-19. Yeah. Their main issue is, like, if they go public with Key's pregnancy, she's not a British citizen. Yes. And up until that point, Britain was very anti-immigrants, like Britain for the British. And by having a, a refugee, a Fuji, be the first mother in the last 18 years, it kind of nullifies their entire ideology yeah they will become hypocrites it's like even though we are demonizing 
all of these immigrants, never mind, they're people too. And that poses a problem. Yeah, them. it makes Britain look bad by having kind of the savior of humanity come from the Fugees, the, these people they've demonized for so long. There's a lot of Christ the Messiah imagery in this movie. Do we want to unpack that a little bit? Oh, yeah. So Julian, who was Theo's ex-wife, she tells him, go to your brother. Your brother has sway with the government. Like, he can help you get the transit papers for key. And he reluctantly says, okay, I'll go to my brother. So he goes to his brother, who is a very prominent person for the British government because he has his arc of the arts. He is the man with the plan to save all the fine arts of human history. So when he met his brother, he said, like, I saved David, but I couldn't save... The Pieta. Yes. He said, ah, the Pieta was smashed to bits. You know, it was too late by the time I got there. Yes, but he could save David. And David has a chunk of his leg missing. Yeah. Nice little bit of world building right there. Yeah, very subtle. But yeah, he couldn't save the Pieta, which is uh, Mary holding the body of Christ after his crucifixion. And that's symbolism of the mother holding the dead son is a theme that will reverberate throughout the entire film. The Pieta itself, the idea of it is that it's this mother kind of contemplating the sacrifice that she has given to the world and her son. It's the dilemma that psychologically at least kind of every mother has to go through when they decide to say yes i'm gonna try to have a kid no matter how good things are when you bring a child into the world they're going to experience so much hurt and pain and disappointment and even cruelty you have to weigh in your mind you is it worth bringing a child into this kind of world as messed up as it is. Right. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com/acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And that might be the central question of the movie. 
as messed up as this world is, is it worth it even bringing a child into this? But to say yes to that is a form of courage. And that's what the Pieta represents is like Mary holding the broken and destroyed body of her son, Christ in the world. is like, this is supposed to be the savior of mankind, uh, the son of God. And yet the world like tore him apart. And so that's one of the main themes of the movie is like with this key character and her bringing what ends up to be her daughter into the world is like, is it even worth it at this point, given how much people distrust each other and just tear each other apart? Like, is it worth it? And I would venture to say the movie says yes, according to a scene, which we will get to later. I don't want to fully get into that yet, but <laughs> um, that is... One of the central questions that the movie offers as its kind of meditation on nihilism, it's like, is it even worth it to keep trying as a human race? Right. Like, that's the central theme of the whole movie. And it's personified, I would say, by uh, Theo's character, because, like, he's a very nihilistic person. Like, he pretty much checked out of society. He's just doing his daily routine mm -hmm. before he is abducted by the fishes. And even after being abducted, he's still reluctant until he realizes that this person's pregnant. Yes. And it's like, okay, this is bigger than myself. But it's a, it's a slow realization to get to that point of him finding that hope within a hopeless situation. So switching gears, we talked about Theo at length. We talked about Key. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Jasper, because there is a very important theme with his character and his wife I would like to talk about briefly. What do you think of Jasper? Yeah, so he's played by Michael Caine. He's a friend of Theo's yes, uncle. He's a friend. Very much comes across as an uncle down to the pull my finger gag. <laughs> he lives a... Uh, relatively carefree existence compared to Theo. He lives in this house in the middle of the woods with a hidden entrance. You know, he grows weed there, even though it's illegal. It actually buys them opportunities later as he's able to bribe like a border crossing guard who he regularly deals pot to. Yeah, he's very much this kind of like John Lennon kind of hippy dippy guy. And the kind of role that he plays in the movie is like his wife, by the way, has suffered some kind of debilitating brain injury or brain condition that she's not able to move or speak. And so he is entirely caring for her. The way he kind of approaches it is very much carefree, kind of living in the moment, kind of acceptance of reality as it is. He doesn't bother himself with getting involved with activist groups or politics of any kind. He's very much like a Zen Buddhist might be where it's just acceptance of things as they are in the current moment. To me, that kind of represents one of the potential answers for nihilism. And he's kind of the other side of the coin that the art curator is on the other side of. The art curator in the, the arc of art, who's he's the curator of it. He's preserving all these priceless art artifacts for history, given just how in despair the world is. Theo at one point asks him, like, 
why would you do all of this in a hundred years? Like nobody's going to even care because we'll all be dead. And the art curator, he's just like, I just don't think about it. In a lot of ways, it represents denial of the problem of nihilism, where the problem of nihilism is asking like what ultimately matters, you know, if we're all going to die and in a certain length of time, nothing's going to matter anyway, or nothing's going to survive after a certain amount of time. Why even bother? The art curator, his kind of answer is denial, where it's like, you know what? I'm not even going to think about it. This just makes sense for me right now. And so this is what I'm going to do, even if there's no kind of ultimate purpose or meaning to it. And Jasper, Michael Caine's character, he represents like kind of the flip side of that, where it's like, Yes, I know nothing ultimately matters, but I'm just going to choose to accept it and instead just going to take it day by day, moment by moment, and kind of live in the now, in the present. And Theo kind of has to straddle these two worlds, if that makes sense. It totally does. Yeah, Theo is kind of like the everyday man, the, the character that the viewer can put themselves into. And they're kind of seen through the lenses of both these ideologies because like they both have their own truths to it. I wouldn't say they have the absolute truth to it. Like the nihilistic life is meaningless thing could be. And then Jasper is complete opposite of that. Like Theo kind of has to, and the viewer has to decipher where's the middle ground. Where's the actual truth lie? Yeah. That's one of the central questions of the movie is like, if, the entire world is shit and your experience of it is just nothing but slugging through shit. Why wouldn't you just take some quietus and, you know, painlessly step out of existence? Like what makes life worth living? And Theo kind of finds his answer in key and her child in this kind of hope for the future where he's like, no matter what it costs me, it's going to be worthwhile and meaningful to give of myself to make sure that we at least have a bit of a future, no matter how uncertain it is. Right. Throughout the entire movie, a big thing I would say is sacrifice. Like every single character that Theo meets does a sacrificial act to propel that sense of hope forward. Yeah. And there's kind of foils to Theo as he goes along on his journey like Miriam, she's this kind of former midwife. She was a nurse at the time when people were starting to not be able to have children anymore. Like she would have multiple miscarriages per week. And then all of a sudden, at a certain point in her schedule of upcoming appointments, there are just no appointments being made. So she got to kind of witness the end of things and then the beginning of a new era with somebody getting pregnant again. And she ends up sacrificing herself at a refugee camp checkpoint um, in order to make sure that Theo and Key are able to continue on. And so in many ways, Theo kind of has a strong sense of self-preservation in making sure that he gets through things. But Miriam is an example of somebody who will trust in key kind of sight unseen to the point of sacrificing herself to making sure that she's safe. And that is certainly not something that Theo has had to contend with up until this point. And so 
she kind of sets the example for him going forward that pays off later in the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Going with the theme of sacrifice, because you mentioned earlier the Christ imagery. Since we said, like, the film doesn't really hit you over the head with exposition, there is one scene where it's more of a character-defining moment for Theo. It's a very somber, quiet moment with Jasper, Key, and Miriam, where Theo is kind of like in the background listening in on their conversation, and they talked a little bit about Theo and Julian's relationship and how they met at a anti-establishment protests and they fell in love and they had a child together and the child was taken away because of the flu pandemic of 2008 Mm -hmm. and jasper uses that story of theo's life you know you have faith julian and theo met like because of their convictions what they believed in and then by chance their son was born And then by chance, their son was taken away because of a deadly virus. The sense of loss that Theo experienced when he was younger, I would say is reminiscent of, you know, Mary and Christ with the statue, with the paintings depicted throughout the film. Yes. It's like, what's the point of raising a kid or bringing life into this meaningless world if that's ultimately the outcome? Yeah. In the scene, Jasper says everything is a mythical cosmic battle between faith and chance. And that's central to the core theme of the movie, nihilism, where we as a human race can't help but to have hope and to have faith that things are going to get better or that things are going to change in a way that will kind of relieve our suffering in many ways that lines up with the biblical theme of kind of faith in the second coming of Christ. And so it's something that we can't really avoid, but then we're met on the other side by chance where these kinds of tragic events happen that you can't really account for and you can't really even make sense of. For my own personal life, one of my sisters ended up murdered by her husband in a tragic turn of events. And that's something I myself have had to make sense of is like, it's not like I could pat myself on the back with a platitude that she like gave her life for something meaningful and that something good came out of her death. It's just been this tragedy that still you can't really make a lot of sense of and there's not really any clean answers for. I've had to weigh like, can I still put my faith in a God who has the world under his control and has a good outcome for all things and wants the best for life and and its existence? Or is it really more chance rather than faith where despite my best efforts to have a good connection with her and to hope for the best for their relationship, like it was still kind of dashed upon the rocks. That's a very, very tough question to kind of answer for anybody. That's what the movie tries to ask in this predicament where you have a world where people are not giving birth to people. As dreadful and depressing and painful a world as it is, the question that the mother has to ask is, is it still worth it to bring a child into this? Am I willing to take that step of faith to say, yes, I'm going to place my hope for the future of the race of mankind into this child who the world might very well tear apart 
And when it came to Theo and Julian with their son, Dylan, they did have that faith in each other and in their son that things would go well. And then chance kind of sprung up and took their son away from them. And it ruined Theo. It really did. But as we'll see later in the film, he decides that the birth of Key's daughter is a miraculous thing. And it's worth taking that step of faith in. It's worth taking that risk. Yeah. First and foremost, I want to say thank you so much, Aaron, for sharing that with me. It's never easy to lose a loved one. It's never easy to lose such a close family member, especially in a traumatic, horrific way. Yeah. It's definitely a conversation that's been happening since the dawn of time. It's like, is our world driven by faith or destiny? Or is it driven by chances, free will? Yeah. I like to think that it's a little bit of both. I think there is a a grand picture to things, but I think a lot of it has to do with free will. For those that subscribe to the teachings of the Bible, I think the world was created by God and everything is made by God and we're in uh, God's image. But ultimately, like because of the events that transpired in the Garden of Eden, like our world has fallen short of the perfection that was the original intent. The reasons why it fell in the first place is because God didn't create man to be perfect. He didn't create pretty much automatons or robots. He created man with all the flaws because he wanted genuine worship and genuine obedience. But he gave us that freedom. And in that freedom, we can do things that aren't what he intended. And we have to live with the consequences of that freedom. And that can either be good things or bad things. And I don't think the bad things in life take away anything from the good things in life. You experienced her life and you cherish those moments because they're so important to you. But, you know, losing her doesn't take away from those great things. Yeah. Conversely, like the great things and the great joys in life don't diminish or erase the hardships of life. Like, you have to take it all together and you have to sort it in your own way. Yeah. And I keep thinking back to why there is art in this story. Like, what's the point of the art curator? And there's not a lot of music in this movie, but in particular, there's a track by King Crimson, which is one of my favorite bands in the Court of the Crimson King. Mm -hmm. I think it has to do with the fact that you don't get beauty in this world without risking tragedy. It's almost like way too deep an idea for me to even like unpack, but there's some truth to it. I feel it. And that's exemplified late in the film when Theo is escorting Key throughout basically this border town where these refugee insurgents end up involved in a firefight with these kind of government troops. Mm -hmm. And it's like a shot that's over like seven minutes long. And there's this moment where Theo and Key, they're trying to protect this baby and get through it. 
then it's revealed that she's actually carrying a baby and they're they're kind of holed up with the insurgents and they're just so spellbound that they s- stop shooting and then the government agents show up and they too notice this baby and they too are just like stricken dumb by this miracle in front of them mm-hmm. and Theo and Key are able to kind of pass through most of the battle just unscathed as everybody's just kind of looking on in awe like they can't even believe that this has actually happened right and then the battle resumes but it was all worth it for that one moment where everybody kind of forgot themselves and who they were and who they were fighting against and it was just all to take in this kind of miracle of life that was right there before them right it's moments like that that make everything worth it in a really weird and deep way that I can't really explain. Yeah, it's such a striking moment because it feels like everything led up to that moment. It's kind of like at the apex of both factions. You have the fishes and they're trying to incite an uprising and to propel like the child forward as like the banner for this new movement for like equal rights for everybody. Mm-hmm. And then you have the authoritarian rule of the government and they're trying to suppress and to maintain order and then they see the baby and everything just stops and that moment of solitude is like so beautiful it's kind of like the the calm within the storm yeah that's kind of the moment that this movie transcended for me where it became a really good movie about a very cool premise to this is touching on something deeper than you know maybe anything that i can really explain yeah emotions have a funny way of doing that where it's like you watch something or you read something and it like triggers this wave of emotions that it makes you feel a certain way but like to articulate it and to like say what it is like it's it's a whole another challenge in of itself and like the movie from start to finish takes you on a ride and you're just speechless of what you just saw yeah this is the kind of movie that sticks with you long after the credits roll oh yeah speaking of credits when the credits roll and it's masterfully bookend with like the title of the movie the movie starts abruptly and then ends abruptly but you know exactly what the movie's about. Yeah, it's a very simple story told masterfully well in a world that feels real. And its style is almost no style at all in that it trusts you to piece things together by presenting the world as it is without blemish, without hiding anything, without smoothing anything over, without spoon feeding it to you. It just shows it as it is. It trusts that you're smart enough to take care of the rest. And for that, I salute it. Yeah. So, Aaron, what would be your one reason why someone should check out Children of Men? My one reason why you should watch Children of Men is that it asks the very questions that we need to be asking ourselves as a human race if we want to survive and thrive in the future. and. There's no easy way to solve that problem or easy way to think about those kinds of questions, but at least we get to do so from the safety and comfort of our own homes, watching a movie instead of having to live it out and decide for real with very real consequences. And this movie kind of gives you the hope that if we have enough people thinking about this, 
we can avoid a lot of pain and suffering in answering those questions. That was beautifully said, Aaron. Thank you. And then for me, my one reason is the cinematography is unbelievable. Like, to be honest, I don't even know how the director even did it. Like, <laughs> this movie is very famous for its multiple long shots. Mm-hmm. There's two sequences in particular. One in the second act that leads into the next act, which has to do with, like, a car chase. And then yeah. the second one is during the firefight between the insurgents and then the military and then Theo's caught in between it. Like those two sequences are unbelievable. Yeah. And like you said earlier, one of them's like seven minutes long, one take, no cuts. Like the choreography alone to pull that off is absolutely mind boggling. It is. And at the same time, it's a cinematography that doesn't draw attention to itself. It's very understated. And they really go for that documentary style where you are, the director refuses to allow the cinematography to come between you occupying the same space as the story. And the story is very much predicated on the world that it's in. So he needs to create a believable world that you can occupy with the character. And it does that flawlessly, in my opinion. Like compare this to one of the opening scenes in Baby Driver. There's another long shot where it's very much draws attention to itself. It's kind of living out the musical trope of the music of the movie having an effect on the world. And so like lyrics from the song will appear as graffiti in the background and everybody moves in rhythm and time to the music. And that's perfect for that movie. It's delightful. It is enjoyable but it very much draws attention to the fact that, hey, I am a long, uninterrupted take. I am choreographed and synchronized to the music. And that's fine. It works for that movie. You would not get away with that in a movie like this. <laughs> so this movie, it very much does the same thing, but in a way that keeps the attention and focus on the world and the characters and the story and instead of any kind of beauty in the cinematography. Like you said, like the, the director doesn't get in the way with being flashy. He has his own pizzazz in like his expertise with the camera, but mm-hmm. it's not stylistic. It's it's very, you know, muted down to earth, which is I think very effective for this movie. It is. And Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Much in keeping with the theme of the movie, it's, it's a lot of suffering, it's a lot of pain, but in the end, it's worth it. Definitely. But that's it for this time on Syndicate, and we hope you enjoyed yourself. We've been talking about Children of Men by Alfonso Cuaron. Please check it out where it is available. And I'd like to take a moment to thank my guest Aaron for coming on the show. You can find Aaron on his podcast, WSTR, Galactic Public Access. And if you'd like to keep the conversation going, please add us at Syndicate on your favorite social media platform. That's C-I-N-E-D-I-C-A-T-E. If you have any questions about the program or even the media that we recommend, please reach out at info at syndicate.com or visit the website, syndicate.com. And until next time, stop that scroll and spend more time watching. Bye.